On Sunday, November 20th, we observed World Children's Day. And like International Children's Day, the focus is on promoting awareness of children's rights, advocating on behalf of children and developing ways to improve their welfare. Now, recently, there was a tweet from a parent. Most people never think about childhood cancer until it's their very own child battling cancer. And that really tugged at the heartstring because how much do we really know about childhood cancer? It seems like we have a reservoir of information when it comes to cancer in general. And still, we mainly think adults. But when it comes to childhood cancer, this parent is right. Unless it hits home, there's very little that's being said. So we continue the dialogue on cancer, and today we shift our attention to childhood cancer. Joining me is Dr. Akash Maniam, practicing oncologist in the UK and clinical director at the Caribbean Cancer Research Initiative. Hello, Dr. Maniam. Hello. How are you? Now, I know you're not a pediatric oncologist, so there are some boundaries we'll respect, but surely you can tell us today about the prevalence of childhood cancer, not just here in the Caribbean, but in the world. Is childhood cancer common? Actually, I would say, on the contrary, childhood cancers are quite rare compared to adult cancers. It's just, I think, obviously, when a, when, when a child is diagnosed with cancer, it's going to generate more public awareness and media awareness because of how emotional... It is, obviously, mm -hmm. when an infant or a child is diagnosed, and I think we're much more socialized and accustomed to adults and elderly adults in particular being ill with you know, diabetes and cancer and these sorts of things. But when you have a one-year-old or a two-year-old or a teenager being stricken by cancer, then it's obviously a very different social game altogether. And so I, I'm, I would say that it's not, it's not particularly common. In fact, around the entire world, you're looking at maybe 400,000 cases of childhood cancer per year in the entire world, which is sharply less than, say, the, the breast cancer rates, where you're talking about one in eight women mm -hmm. getting breast cancer. So it's quite rare, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But when it happens, it's obviously a a special and nuanced situation and, and you have parents and families involved and so it becomes a much more complex thing to, to understand and to manage and I think that's why it's good to discuss these differences today. Well, we spend a lot of time talking about cancer affecting adults. In fact, if we were to right now ask anyone to name the top three or top five common cancers in adults, we'll have a vibrant response in addition to um, what some of the causes might be and there might even be linked to lifestyle choices. But with children, I am guessing that it has to be different. It just has to be different. I mean, these little ones, they haven't been alive long enough to make messed up lifestyle choices. I mean, when a baby arrives, it's a, you, it's, it's a new human being and you immediately associate this newness with good health, you know, and long life. And that's what we wish for our little ones. But when you have a diagnosis coming, and this is a five-year-old or a six-year-old, even younger than that, I mean, they have not even been exposed to the unhealthy sides of this planet. So why? Why children? What's causing cancer in children? Okay, so firstly, I would say that the types of childhood cancer are very different to adult cancers, and I think that would be helpful to understand what causes them. So in adults, you're thinking of breast, lung, prostate, mm. bowel cancer. In childhood cancers, you're thinking about cancers of the blood, leukemia, which is the most common type of childhood cancer. You're thinking of the tumors of the brain and the spinal cord, the nervous system, the eyes, which are very rare in adults as well. Now, when you have these sorts of cancers, they are generally genetically driven. This does not mean 
that the parents spread this to the child. This just means that for whatever reason, children have a mutation in their genes that predisposes them to developing these sorts of cancers and the different genes involved with different cancers. But obviously, we're not thinking of lifestyle factors generally when we're thinking about children's cancers in the same way as with adult cancers. But it is usually due to genetic mutation. In some cases, and in some parts of the world, infections also play a role such as HIV, because in, in many parts of the world, HIV can be spread from the mother to the, uh, to the fetus during pregnancy, and certain other types of viruses such as EBV and other infections such as malaria. So in the developing world, those sorts of things are actually risk factors for childhood cancer as well. But there is a much bigger prevalence of genetic issues in children's cancer, which makes sense. And I would just stress that for, for the most part, we still don't really know. We don't understand children's cancers nearly the same way as we understand adult cancers. We, mm-hmm. we still don't know why kids get them. Oh, what about survival rates for children with uh, ty- uh, their different specific types of cancer? So this is where, thankfully, things are much better. On average, you would say nearly 90%, about 85 to 90% of children diagnosed with cancer will survive past five years. This is a cross-section of all different types of cancers, stages, types of treatment. Obviously, there is some nuance. Many leukemias are cured. Many lymphomas, and as we discussed last time, a cancer of the, the lymph glands or lymph nodes, uh, many of those can be cured. But as, as a cross-section, you're looking at very high cure rates compared with adult cancers. Yeah. Mm. I want us to talk a little bit about the cost of treatment. And I know many people have the same question in their mind. Why is treatment so costly? We come across these awareness stories in the news and these fundraiser projects from families trying to raise money and funds for their child to take the child abroad for treatment. And sometimes when you when you see the figure that they have to work with, you wonder what happens if they don't meet that amount of money? What happens to the child? What happens to the treatment? So for those of us who don't know, what are the factors that determine the cost of treatment for a child? How delicate is it treating a child diagnosed with cancer? I think this is perhaps the most important thing to cover today. I, I think that when you hear these terrible, tragic, heart-wrenching stories of children, of teenagers um, developing leukemia, particularly within the Caribbean and other low- to middle-income countries. You often see pleas by families for financial assistance or uh, resources to be able to help their child get the treatment they need because Mm -hmm. often these treatments are not available within, you know, the developing world. Now, if we take a leukemia, a leukemia is something that is very resource-intensive to treat. It is very difficult to treat if you don't have the, the infrastructure and the setup to do it. Now, if you take someone with leukemia, generally speaking, and we don't want to make broad generalizations, but just for context, if you have a child with leukemia, the chance of cure is generally quite high, but that chance of cure relies usually on having some sort of transplant, whether it's an outright you know, bone marrow transplant or stem cell transplant, etc. And the facilities to conduct this sort of procedure, to harvest the cells, to reintroduce them if it's the same person or to get them from a related person or a match, as they would say, who donates the sample. The ability to isolate them because their immune systems are extremely brittle and they need very careful isolation for a very long time. The high doses of chemotherapy that they would usually need and the high likelihood of infections and complex infections requiring lengthy stays in hospital 
it really means that you you need a robust and dedicated system catering to those needs and frankly bone marrow transplant costs vary around the world but they can cost tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of us dollars just for a single one for a single person to go through this entire journey which is exorbitant and that is often what it takes to be able to effect the type of cure that you're looking to to achieve so those are generally the sorts of treatments that you would give to someone like that and unfortunately those are also the sorts of treatments that one would really struggle to provide in a lower resource setting to concentrate that level of infrastructure and expertise across the spectrum from physicians to nurses to lab staff to transfusion staff to pharmacy etc i think we're much better off than many places in trinidad but we still have obviously a long way to go for the other types of cancers in children treatments can be fairly similar in that you're using surgery you're using radiotherapy you're potentially using chemotherapy the principles are very similar it's just the types of cancers are often different but i think leukemia is a very good one to think about because yeah i think it 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 brings up so many emotions as a country there's such a a change in the way we look at it so it's really sad when we see those stories for sure Now this might be a bit uncomfortable for some listening who've lost a loved one to cancer especially a child or those of you with a loved one battling cancer. The purpose of this episode is to share vital information and when we are properly informed then we can make empowered decisions. Also for those of us not in such a situation that we are able to approach this with greater compassion and understanding. So Dr. Maniam when it comes to your child and their family. So let's just say you raise enough money and you're able to take your child to this other country for treatment. You uproot yourself. You have to make so many adjustments to your job, to your finances, to other family members and you take this child already vulnerable to a different country where you don't know anybody. You settle in there, you have to make adjustments there as well and then take the child to the hospital where there's a the treatment to take place. And you often read about the success stories you know things went well they had a transplant done and uh, the the surgery went well recently there was a story where we were being updated on such a situation only uh, some time after we learned that the child died because of an infection so there was optimism and there was so much hope and everybody felt so relieved and when that news broke it was i could almost hear this resounding reaction what went wrong and you hearing about an infection so without specific details um what what is it that could go wrong uh when a child goes in for treatment and you hear that the transplant went well but then they picked up an infection and unfortunately the child did not survive and i think this is important because dying of an infection after a transplant doesn't mean the transplant wasn't successful and it it's a horrible reality because to me the major aspect of leukemia care is after the transplant that's when you are most vulnerable it often requires a lengthy period of hospitalization a lengthy period of close observation you're on very powerful medications the immune system is extremely fragile but to keep someone in another country for 3 months for 6 months how long it takes to fully recover is just not practical it's exorbitant it's so expensive to be able to do it. plus it's obviously devastating for the the child and for the family because you're in a foreign environment and that's not easy but the reality is that with these sorts of treatments the complication rates are going to be very high 
you're dealing with fragile immune systems due to the cancer and then very fragile immune systems due to the treatment. Because for a leukemia, it's the bone marrow where the immune cells are made, where all blood cells are made. That is the problem. And you're essentially trying to destroy that bone marrow to get rid of all of the cancer, all of the bad bone marrow, and then replace it with healthy bone marrow afterwards with the mm -hmm. transplant. As you can imagine, that is never going to be straightforward. It's, it is going to take time to adjust it. And if we think about adults, if someone has a liver transplant or a kidney, tra kidney transplant, which are more common, you're looking at long periods of immunosuppression afterwards for life to try and prevent the body from reacting to this transplant as a foreign object and destroying it. So with a bone marrow transplant, you have very similar principles in many ways. So it's very complex. And it's really unfortunate that these sorts of things happen after, you know, the time and money and mm -hmm emotional effort expended into doing all of these things. And I think it just really shows just how difficult and complex it actually is to provide the sort of care to people who desperately need it. Now, Dr. Maniam is an oncologist in the UK, but he's also a clinical director at the Caribbean Cancer Research Initiative, the CCRI. Maybe you've never heard about them? There's a great opportunity for you to learn more because they offer a number of services. And sometimes, based on your situation, you just need to talk to somebody, share your experience and get some good advice. They just might be the people you need in your life. So, Dr. Maniam, just to share with us some details about the CCRI. Sure, happy to. Um, so anyone can just go onto our website, which is ccrinitiative.com, and just browse through the web pages. All of the contact information is there. You can contact us directly through the website. Your email address is there. The phone number, the WhatsApp number, everything is there. So you can just reach out to us if you have any questions. You're not sure of your treatment plan. You're not sure of what's going on. You just you're feeling scared or concerned. Just reach out. We'll always be able to support. Um, and we'll be able to redirect your queries at least to the right people. So just reach out to us. We'll be happy to help.